excited that my very first film is now available on YouTube. It's called Sub Ford Estates, and it highlights Matt Daniels' journey from running a sub four-minute mile to then going after and racing Western States. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Check it out. Appreciate you guys. And that was a moment I, I can look back on now. And uh, that was one of my favorite moments, getting a foot massage by Hayden at mile 62. This is um, a fan of yours, and I'm just calling in to express my admiration. It's Dean Carnassus, the ultra marathon man. Hello, listeners. This is Chris Mako, and we are live. And you're listening to Training for Ultra podcast. This is Anime Flynn, and I'm here talking to Training for Ultra podcast. Yeah, it's like really, I just need to catch up with Rob. 100 miles is not that far. <laughs> I, I thought oh. it was a joke, actually. It, it is. I thought it was one of your jokes, yeah. It is a joke. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so classic. Oh my God, because literally thing would be like beep, beep, beep. Mother, mother, beep. Mother, mother, beep, beep. Mother, beep, mother, beep, 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 beep. One, two, one, two, three, four. <laughs> Training for Ultra Podcast. I'm Sally McRae, also known as Yellow Runner. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Kyle Pietari. You are listening to the Training for Ultra Podcast with Kyle and Rob. Welcome to the Kyle and Rob podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. Welcome to podcast episode 109. Really interesting episode. Really enjoy speaking with Kyle. Hopefully I get to share a few miles with him. I know he will be out helping me at Moab 240, which is turning into the 250 or the 401k um, charity run that I'm doing to raise awareness about histiocytosis. Um, shout out to Empower Retirement, who is matching up to $5,000. They're matching internal donations, and they're just really helping um, with the fundraising cause. So it's just much appreciated to have them on board to help, you know, just raise awareness, but also raise some some fundraising so that we can do additional research into histiocytosis. Thank you to Hammer Nutrition. I'll have an exciting announcement with them next month. If you haven't tried them out, feel free to use my referral code 252888. You'll save 15% off your first order. Big thank you to Exoskin. I'll be using a lifetime supply of toe socks at Moab 240, along with compression, uh, calf sleeves, and base layers. And I'm going to try to stay warmer than I did during Tahoe 200. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, it's the previous one. I sort of give a background on how I had a massive gear failure and then a rainstorm slash snowstorm. But that reminds me, I did I did uh, change coats. So I am going with an Alteryx coat. I kind of hinted on Instagram, like, listen to this episode and you'll find out why. And the reason is because... When I was out there during this just horrible storm, I saw quite a few people that were comfortable that, you know, were offering help to me and they were wearing Alteryx coats and you could just tell um, they were next level 
Stormproof. You know, they're they're not a, a sponsor of the show. It'd be awesome to have them. I think they're with the same company as Solomon. But yeah, my I gotta be honest, my my North Face Venture 2 jacket, I don't know if I washed the waterproofing off it or what the hell happened. But talk about a massive, massive gear failure going in thinking you have a waterproof coat and quickly uh, finding that you don't and it's 10 miles back or 10 miles forward and really being in the middle of nowhere um so i will um i'll give you an update on how that coat works for me but you know part of me feels guilty because i did do one or two stories on instagram how i've i've had the venture one coat and never really had issue with it. Um, for whatever reason, I had a Patagonia um, that worked pretty well at Bighorn 100 during that rain and mud. But the zipper snagged and tore. So I was like, I can't have that happen during the race. So I, I really, I spent um, probably an hour carefully going over coats at an REI locally and talking with someone and being like, you know, I'm willing to spend a little extra money because... Uh, you know, my life could depend on this coat and go figure like, you know, I got myself into sort of a nasty situation and got fortunate. So enough on that. If you want to try Exoskin, you know, I really like their gear. You want 20% off, just use the code T, the number four U20 for 20% off. Um, thank you to Sufferfest Beer. They have a new beer out called Head Start. They also have announced national distribution. So check out their website for the nearest retailer. Thank you to Ultimate Direction. I will be using their, I think they have a waterproof or water-resistant pant. I'm going to double check, dig into um, this week to make sure they're good to go for Moab 240. And I'll be using their waist belt. I think it's called a race race belt um and i'll have the kogala light with the battery pack it all fits perfectly with that belt you don't need to customize it that was kind of a perfect setup i'm i'm sold on the waist light um it just the x the additional light just makes it a little bit more enjoyable and uh let's see i'll use the mountain 4.0 vest from ultimate direction also and Thank you to Destination Trail. They've been uh, a big supporter. Candace Burt, Crystal, and the whole team. Check out all their races. They have a few new ones coming up. And they have shorter distances, mid-distances, long and stupid long. So I uh, just appreciate their support. I'm trying to think, did I miss anyone? Hammer Nutrition, Exoskin, Sufferfest Beer, Ultimate Direction, and Destination Trail. Thank you to the Patreon supporters. You guys are awesome. And we got some fun episodes. We have a fundraiser episode or two, one with Courtney DeWalter, one with Hayden Hawks, and uh, Crystal Seaver. We haven't actually announced a winner for her episode, so if you're interested, you can email me and, and bid in a silent auction. We might have one more, but for now, we'll leave it there. So just appreciate your guys' support. Enjoy this episode with Kyle. Don't forget to enjoy your training. This is the Kyle and Rob podcast coming coming live from Denver. Um, <laughs> Kyle, how have you a been? A lot of episodes. A lot of episodes feature Rob, but this is the first one that features <laughs> Kyle. 
this is this is long overdue. Honestly, um, I I swear I've talked to you for probably what over a year now about eventually having you on. I mean, we we shared some miles at the Palmer Palmer Lake Death Race, and we we chatted it up. I've seen you at a few races. I, I want to say. Yeah, so I think it's been a, about a year since we touched base about you having an interest in meeting on and me being very interested. And I forgive you for it taking that long, Rob, because frankly, I love what you do for this sport and for this community and how much passion and work as well. You work hard. Um, how much of that you put into this. So thank you for doing this. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Seriously, long overdue. And um, I've seen you at multiple, multiple races, even doing research on Never Summer um, on YouTube. I saw you crewing um, someone out there. Like you, you're a big part of the local community. I saw you at Quad Rock. I think you were volunteering at an aid station and helped me out personally. Like, so you're you're just a super talented runner. It's way long overdue. Um, Kyle, let's let's start with um, your sponsored athlete let's give a shout out to the sponsors and then you're also you know full-time working parent so i got to hear about that but let's let's hear your sponsors who are you sponsored by yeah so my primary sponsor is ultra the shoe company ultra zero drop footwear if you're listening to this you probably know who ultra is and i got really lucky and that i got involved with ultra back before most people had heard of them when they first had an athlete program early 2014 and I've been with them ever since and it's a great relationship, great company and of course great products. And uh, yeah, big shout out to them. I love the company. It's been a blast and wild ride to be did with you, them. And did you know golden part. or something? How'd you even hear about them so early? Yeah. Interesting story. So a friend of mine who worked at a running shoe company knew that I had a background of running barefoot a lot and when Ultra first had some models on the market, he told me to try these superiors. Hmm. So I did, and I placed fourth at the Leadville 100. That was really my first semi or maybe full-on elite performance in an Ultra in 2013. And somebody tagged a photo of me on Twitter wearing the shoes and tagged Ultra in it. And then Jeremy Howlett, one of the three co-founders of Ultra, reached out to me invited me to apply for their team and the rest is history. And really I, I, I haven't given ultra some credit they deserve in that. I don't think I'd be the competitive athlete that I am honestly, if I didn't have some sort of professional feel obligation to train hard and compete hard. So really the notion of athletes being sponsored as a way to empower athletes and help them progress really did play out well for me because again, I, I highly doubt I would have the results to my name or my involvement in the running community that I have if I hadn't gotten involved with them. They're, they're stand up. Uh, I mean, from what I can tell within the community, I've been fortunate to, to actually go on a group run during lunch with the whole like ultra team that actually designs the shoes and markets and does everything for the, the company and, just a nice group of people and they really, really care about trail and ultra running as opposed to some other companies that might ignore their athletes. So yeah, I can't speak more highly of them and I'm still leaving my, my big shoe contract open for now. <laughs> uh, Kyle, who else are you sponsored by? 
Yeah, so I'm actually very selective about who I get involved with. And for most of my, you could call it competitive running career, it's been just ultra. And now I have one other sponsor, which is Ultra Spire, Ultra Spire, that makes hydration packs and lighting. And I'm a big fan of using waste lights if you're going to run in the dark. Whether it's Ultra Spire or any other brand, I highly recommend everyone use a waste light when you're running in the dark. Uh, The way I do it is if it's... Yeah, yeah. If it saves you from tripping and falling once, um, it's probably already worth the cost of the equipment. That's what I tell people. It's like, yep, just buy it. Totally. It might save you a trip to the emergency room. <laughs> just one knee injury that takes you out for three months. It's worth the 200 bucks or 300 bucks. Totally agree. Yeah, agree. Yeah. yeah. Ultraspire is a cool company too, so shout out to them. Cool. I, I love hearing about new gear and, and what's working for you, and I also like peeking behind the curtain and hearing about like great companies that are really taking care of their athletes. So you're notorious for your run commutes. Where are you commuting to? What do you, what do you do professionally? Sure. So I'm a full-time lawyer. I'm a litigator at an international law firm and I'm a third year associate, meaning I in my third full calendar year since I started at my firm and started practicing law Cool. And I work downtown in Denver and my commute is depending on which GPS watch I'm using between 4.55 and 4.7 miles each way. That's not bad. I run it every day, no matter what. Cool. Very cool. What do you, what do you specialize in in case anyone needs a lawyer right now? (laughs) Sure. So I'm a registered patent attorney and I have done plenty of non-patent cases, but that is, you could say, my specialization. Is that what litigation? Is is that what Einstein did? He was actually patent, like approver, right? Jeez. Um, Oh, don't don't quote me on this, and I might sound bad if I'm wrong about this, but I believe Einstein was a patent examiner. Yeah, which means you review patent applications and decide whether they're a patent will be granted or not based on the application. Nice. I'm not positive that's right, but that sounds right. You're, you're a smart dude. You went to Harvard, Harvard Law. Um, you went to Rice. Like, it's always enjoyable talking to you. You always, you always have interesting things to add to any conversation that I've, I've had with you. Um, so how have run Thanks, commutes? Rob. You're a smart guy, too. Uh, yeah, not, not quite up to Harvard standards yet. Uh, still working on that. Um, how has the run commute changed your training? And I, I can't lie. I'm super jealous. I think it was ultra did a video on your run commute or someone did a, a video and I'd been dreaming that concept up and kicking myself when I saw that someone else got to it. Um, is that, is that right? Did ultra do a video on that? Yeah. Someone did it. Yeah. Uh, so three years in a row, four weeks before Western States, th- we're getting off topic here a little bit, but this is kind of funny. F- three years in a row is four weeks before Western States. I was filmed doing my run commute first year <laughs> by National Geographic for their television show Explorer second year for an altered film. And definitely anyone listening to this would be interested in seeing that if they haven't yet. The film is called Balance made by Derek Lytle. It's 20 minutes and it's about the Western States for 20, the 2018 race. And, and then this year, uh, Denver nine news filmed me oh, okay. doing my run commute again, four weeks before Western States. I'll, I'll bring my camera out next time we, 
if, if we get out for a run at some point. Um, so how has the run commute changed your, your training, your base level fitness? Like, are you finding yourself late for work and hitting faster, faster runs than you should? Like kind of how, how is it commuting back and forth every day on foot? Yeah. So I guess the reason why people have been interested in, in seeing me do it is that I have a very hectic demanding schedule with work and parenting at home. And frankly, I wouldn't be a competitive runner or even a serious runner at all if I wasn't a daily run commuter. So I am very committed to it. And I'm not sure if it's the right idea for everybody, but I highly recommend other people try it because it's very efficient. So for me, I do about half my miles in each calendar year, just as my commutes, more or less. That's a rough estimate. And my training is structured around everything I do aside from the run commutes. So if I'm doing a run that's not a run commute, it's almost definitely going to be a high intensity workout or a long run on the weekend, usually on the trails to get some vert training or hill repeats on a road in Denver, just over and over. So I do all of my non-easy miles as all of my runs that aren't my run commutes. And then my run commutes are almost exclusively just slow, easy miles. So genius. it's a baseline of like 45 miles a week, running twice a day, five days a week. Though I work from home sometimes, so I don't always run commute. But that gives me roughly 45 miles a week of guaranteed slow, easy miles. And by, by that, I, I typically... That typically means between nine minute pace and ten fifteen pace. Wait, say that again. Typically, my run commutes I do between nine, nine minute pace and ten fifteen pace. And really, that's, I don't know anybody else. That's who, the secret right there. Who I'm actually competing with in races? Whoever runs that slow, uh, but it works really well for me. So I feel like maybe I outperform my actual abilities on race day. Maybe because I train nice and slow and easy so much. And that translates well to 100-mile racing. Because in 100-milers, you're actually running about that speed. I mean, that's that in itself. I mean, you just, the listener just got their money's worth for this podcast. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's not that scientific. It's just take it chill and easy. Because also, I don't want to show up to work really toast destroyed. Um, and, and, and then at, I often come home after, well, most of the time after dark, but sometimes after midnight and I don't feel like running hard. I don't feel like running at all. Um, I just want to take a nice and easy, listen to audiobooks or podcasts. And it's not even thinking of it as training. It's just transportation. That's cool. like you're getting in a car. Um, I assume audible or, or what's your go-to? We'll just, go down each tangent here, <laughs> highly focused. Uh, that's it's highly relevant. Actually. No, I don't <laughs> think that's a tangent audible. I'm an audible junkie. Cool. So I had, I had the, the highest level membership where it's yeah. you get like 25 credits or something. And I could burn through that in, oh, in totally. well under a year. If, but I usually listen to them on two and a half times speed. Um, Same here. Which, I, I knew I liked you. Oh, really? Really? Nice. Yeah, if it's like actually, I, I can I think a lot of times go up to three. My wife freaks out um, if she hears that out loud. Like most, 
you, you kind of have to build up to it. Um, <laughs> but totally, totally. I had this, I had this transition phase when I was at one and a half, then I moved up to two, then two and a half. And I've never had the guts to jump up to three because it freaked, freaked me out the one time I tried. So maybe now <laughs> that I have somebody, I know who does it. Yeah. I'll talk you I'll through it. To try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's like maybe my dyslexic brain just, it converts audio into visual, like rapid, like almost instant where if I have to actually read the text uh, with my eyes, it's just, it takes a little bit slower. It's probably one X with that, that input. So uh, that's fascinating, <laughs> man. Um, so you're, to you. you're listening to podcasts and, and audiobooks on your slow, like easy runs. Like what's your base level um, mileage for a week? Like, What's your average mileage? Like 65, 70, 75? Like, because you're saying your your commute itself is taking 45 miles. Yeah, good question. It really depends where I'm at in the year and with races. When I'm peaking for a race like Western States or Run Rabbit, I'm generally going to be over 100 miles for, I don't know, two to five weeks. And then as many weeks as I can fit in and like the 70 to 90 range and beyond that it's usually either because it's taper or recovery or injury and that's when i'm below that but yeah when i'm really i guess you call it training it's probably it's probably over 75 a week it's beautiful usually including I, yeah I, that's usually including some uphill treadmill miles where okay. the whole workout's uphill so that translates to more miles you you're like um the epitome of just smart training it seems like you're not you're not throwing in those, uh, this Tony 250 mile weeks or whatever the hell he used to do. Um, you seem like very logical and reason. Like, are you following an actual training plan or like, do you have a coach? Yeah, I don't have a coach. I'm pretty competent to structure my own training. Um, and I, I read a lot of stuff and I read stuff from some of the prominent coaches yeah. in this sport. And so I, I'm very much a student of the sport and the free information that's out there. If you can take the time to study it, you can learn a ton because there's a lot of good stuff out there. Um, but I'm, I'm not saying this to bash coaches. In fact, I'm saying this to, to say that I think coaches are a good idea, even though I've chosen to never have one mm-hmm. because most people aren't going to have the time or the ability to accumulate so much free information like I have. So I, I, coaching, I so far hasn't been something I've been too interested in, especially because I have such an inflexible schedule. Usually it's just, I'm going to run 10 runs this week that are going to be around 930 pace. And those are going to be my commutes. And then there are you know, a few other workouts in the week. That I mean, we a, a coach, honestly, for you would almost add no value. <laughs> like, cause it's either, it's either going to be a, a fast like a, a super hard effort of some sort on the weekend, or it's going to be a long run. I mean, it's like spin the roulette wheel. And I mean, are you, are you finding that there's some kind of like good method? I obviously it's working, whatever you're doing. Um, are you alternating like a long run weekend and then like a speed work weekend or like, how do you, how do you mix those weekend workouts? I mean, you have three kids at home, wife, high stress job, and you're excelling. 
like no other. Like, so, so what, what are those weekend routines like? Yeah. So to the extent that what you just said is true, I'll respond. Um, uh, the weekends I pretty much only do long runs. And even though I'm like a mountain trail racer, that's what I focus on. That's almost all of what I do. I, I only get to the trails on the weekends and that's maybe, I don't know, 15 to 20 weekends per year. So most of the time I'm not doing any trail running. Um, when I'm training seriously for a race like Western States or run rabbit run, I really go to just pretty much one of two trails here in the Denver area and just do hill repeats over and over. And that's how I do my long runs. So I'm really stacking a ton of vert and uphill and downhill training into just my weekend long runs. And I, and then my speed high intensity stuff, I fit in during the work week, really just whenever possible. Like if, if I'm feeling pretty beat up, but I have a morning when I can start work a little bit later, I, it's like, I have to take advantage of it. And that's when I'm going to do a treadmill uphill workout. So tell me, like, what do you do for speed workout? Like, or like, uh, I don't know, some kind of like beyond just the uphill. I, I can't imagine you being at a track doing any kind of repeats. Is it like just up tempo to work? Like, hey, let's get to work in a half an hour or like, how, how yeah, do you do it? Occasionally I'll run faster to get to or from the office, but that's really rare. Like I said, my commutes are just time to chill out and yeah. jog. But at either end of a run commute, so when you're already running, you can add in a treadmill workout before or after, and it doesn't take up as much more time out of your day because you're going to be running after, before or after anyway. So my typical routine is once or twice a week after I run to the office or before I run to the office because I have a treadmill at home and a treadmill at work in the gym, I'll, I'll do almost exclusively uphill high intensity workout because I'm not on the trails often and I need to be training my uphill ability for the races I do. So that'll usually consist of like three minute or five minute or eight minute or 10 minute or 20 minute or 30 minute intervals. And that's, that pretty much sums it up. And I, I, yeah. I go pretty steep, usually 10 to 15%. Jeez. Hey, whenever you have a chance, come, come join me for uh runner's roost group run on Thursday nights. Uh, yeah. I know Southern that you Denver. go to those. Yeah. I, I know other people who do too. And yeah, I'd love to you sometime. I got to like, get you down, down in Southern Denver at some point. Yeah, no, I'd love to. It's, it's really hard in the work week, oh, I can't but imagine. I'm sure yeah. sometime it'll, it'll happen. So just going from your training here, I mean, what, cause there's a, a video out there on YouTube of you just crushing this downhill um, and pushing a sub four minute mile. What What is your fastest like actual mile time, like on a legit track? Because you're super fast. Yeah, so my downhill mile, for those who haven't seen the video, I hope you check it out. It's the only movie I've ever made, and I really enjoyed making it <laughs> on YouTube. Cool. But it, that was a th- it was three forty six oh, um, officially. <laughs> I, I, I think more like a three forty five. Um, but my track mile PR is, is four forty one, which is 
pretty slow compared to the people I'm typically competing against at races. So I'm, I'm not uh, one of the very elite speedsters in this sport. That's interesting. So you're just a downhill crusher. Yeah, I'm way, way, way better at downhill than I am at flat or uphill running. So like if there could be a, an ultra marathon that's entirely downhill, I would love to do that. Like a, what are those called? They do those mar- those goofy marathons here. They're popular. Oh yeah, the the Rebel. They need a re- a Rebel Hundred. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, oh my God. maybe I'll try one of those marathons. I, see, you should. I, I doubt I could ever crack a two thirty on a, at a real marathon. And again, that's that's pretty slow compared to the people I'm racing in ultras. <laughs> but I feel like maybe I could get an OTQ on one of those. I don't know. If, I don't know if that would actually count. But then that would be I, I think, I think trials, that'd be I would really be like, fun. I would I would be DFL <laughs> absolutely at the trials. I'd be DFL by like twenty minutes. That would be and I could run all out and still do that. That'd be incredible. <laughs> Kyle Kyle uh qualified with a two oh five and <laughs> showed up and threw down like a three hour. Like Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Um <laughs> that's funny. But uh so Let's talk uh, Western States. I saw you out there. Uh, it was a fun, I mean, just a fun experience for me being out there. And you're you're almost famous for always managing to squeak out a top 10. And there's, I, I think Eric Trans did a really great interview of you previously, maybe a year ago when you had rolled your ankle and still squeaked out like a top 10. Um, but let's... No one's talked to you about this year, and you've had one hell of a year. I have to hear more about Western States. And then you just blew away everyone at uh, Run Rabbit Run. Uh, so let's let's dive into Western States this year. I mean, were you going in confident? Like, how were you feeling pre-race? And I got to hear more about this race. Yeah, well, I do love talking about Western States, so thanks, Rob. Um, Floor, floor's yours. So, <laughs> yeah, so so this year, okay, so this year, I went in pretty confident, like more confident than I'd ever been in my own ability, because on paper, my training showed that I was fitter than I'd ever been. I was doing, my, my, my gold standard workout is four laps up and down Mount Falcon, on the castle trail yep. from the parking lot to the, the gate. So not the pavilion, but the gate it's five K each way, five K uphill, five K back down uh, with 1600 feet of vert. And I do four laps on that. And that's my gold standard long run workout. And so I was, that showed me I was fitter than I'd ever been because it was easier than I'd ever been before. So I went to the race pretty confident, but there's a big, but it was obvious that this was by far, the most competitive field ever. And yeah. so I was not super confident about top 10, but I knew I was prepared to, to, to fight hard for it. And well, as, as things turned out that I was spot on with those general predictions and I got 10th place and it was by far the fastest field ever. And I mean, if you just look at the names, of the people who didn't get 10th place, it's, it's pretty ridiculous, pretty elite. <laughs> yeah, the top twenty-five of of states this year is off the charts. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and and ten guys under sixteen hours is is unprecedented. It's never happened before, and then 
I, I don't know as much about the women's field because it's not my competition, but the women's field was equally bonkers and yep. just exciting and, and with, with crazy close finishes, just oh, like the yeah. men's field. So for example, for example, the men's field at the finish line, there were four of us, seventh through 10th place who finished within two minutes of each other, each other. That's and insane. I actually lost 30 seconds because my daughter refused to cross the finish line with me. And I had to like <laughs> argue with her for a second before I crossed it solo. And I also went the wrong way when I got to the track, but it didn't matter at that point. So really we were within like 90 seconds of each other. And that's four of us competing as hard as we can for top 10. So I'm really glad that all four of us got top 10 because it would have been really sad if one of us just barely missed it. And there was a bit of a gap yep. behind me to 11th. So that was a great outcome. Super exciting race. The women's field also had some extremely close finishes. And I really want to emphasize just how great I think this is for, for the sport as a spectator sport of the elite field. And amazing stories and all, all the way through the path, of course. But from the perspective of viewing the elite field, I think this was the most exciting and the most competitive ultra ever in North America. I, I couldn't and agree I, I, more. I, I couldn't yeah. keep up with Jim. And I'm, I was following Matt Daniels, who's ended up taking fourth. He was in third for a lot of the race. Like, that's how fast these guys were. We couldn't drive to the aid stations quick enough. Uh, it was oh, just it was off yeah, the Matt, charts. Matt's, Matt's story is just amazing. And then, and then Jim, of course, and Jared, of course, just amazing stories. Yeah, Tom Evans had a hell of a race. And Tom, the, get this, get this. From the river to the finish line on Strava, I yeah. believe that I, me and Pat Reagan and Jeff Browning, I think we all had some of the fastest splits ever on Strava. We also did from Forest Hill in. In fact, I believe when I uploaded, I got the Strava CR from Forest Hill to the finish line. Wow. Then Browning uploaded his, and he <laughs> he had a faster one. Then Pat Reagan uploaded his, and he got the crown. Um, anyway, but then from the river to the finish, it was similar. We were all up towards the top. But uh, Tom Evans' pacer, so Tom Evans didn't have a Strava post, but his pacer did. And his pacer has the CR by like 10 minutes. <laughs> like 10 minutes faster than anyone's ever run. So his pacer must have been working hard. I, um, so, so, yeah, I, Tom Evans as well. Tom Evans' camera team was sweating so hard. Like, <laughs> um, dang, that that's crazy that his pacer holds the uh, CR. That's, that's crazy. Um, yeah. Well, I, I'm glad. By like, by like 10 minutes. So, so how'd the race start for you? How, how do you run Western States? Cause you are one of the most consistent guys and the sick thought of doing the Tahoe 200 and then doing the, the Western States course after Tahoe 200 went through my mind. But unfortunately, you know, there's only so much time, um, available to do stuff. How, do, how do you run the beginning just tell me like the first 50 K of States. Cause you've, well, Rob, you have it down well, to a well, science, well. man. I'm well, Rob, I'm glad you didn't try to go run the Western States course after Tahoe, the, the Tahoe, <laughs> the Tahoe States. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm glad you didn't do that. That, that sounds dangerous. I, it would be amazing. Um, Someone's going to do it. <laughs> It'll probably be me next year. All right. Well, as long as you're prepared, <laughs> okay. Well, I, okay, so the start of the race, it's pretty crazy at Western States because I, I think that some people watching think that I'm starting out slow because I've been told that. 
but I'm not. I'm actually running pretty hard for the whole race. Like early in the race, I'm going sub seven pace on the downhills. Um, if you got some smooth, runnable, slightly downhill stuff, I'll go low sixes pace. And that is hammering it for a oh. hundred miler. Yeah, but I'm quads. still in like 20, 20th place or something. So people Jeez. go out really fast. I, I, what were you um, at the top of escarpment? Like, did you have a bunch of people in front of you? Rumor has it yeah, that um, usually, Camille Camille had beat like Matt Daniels and like half half of like the upper echelon of the the men's field up that. Yeah, I think Camille was well ahead of me. I think a lot of people were well ahead of me. <laughs> and again, I didn't feel like I took it real easy, but I think I was probably like twentieth, twenty fifth, or something. That's typically where I am. And so it's, you make up, you make, you make it up as you just continue to grind out. Are you, so you are downhill runner. So these uphills, like you're, if anything, kind of average, is that safe to say? And then you, you continue to push and make it up the climbs and then you start gaining on people on the flats to downs. Is that right? Yeah, average might be generous for my uphill ability. <laughs> um, say, I, I feel the same. I, way. I apologize to all the people <laughs> I'm racing with because it's probably annoying to run by me because I'm it's always leapfrogging because <laughs> they pass me in the uphill and then I pass them on downhill. That's just that's how it's been for me my entire life as a runner. Uh, so apologies to anyone who's had to deal with that. I know it's annoying <laughs> with me. Um, yeah, Western States is a downhill course and. That's one of the reasons why I love it. And that's one of the reasons it's a net downhill course, not just like a good downhill runner's course. It's net downhill. And that's one of the reasons why I can do better there than I probably can at most other hundred milers. So how'd you handle the snow this year after rolling your ankle? And was it last year that you rolled your ankle and it ballooned up to like a grapefruit size? Or was that two years ago? I can't remember. Yeah. So that was two years ago, 2017. It was mile 6.9, and I'm, I know the exact location because the next two years, 2018, 2019, I had just a little bit of psychological stress getting towards that point. <laughs> it's like, okay, here it comes, here it comes. You're going to step across the stream without badly spraining your ankle. Um, so I'd never had a sprain before in my life, and then I have an, an ankle roll, and I'm like, oh, that's a pretty bad ankle roll. I've, of course, I've had plenty of ankle rolls that hurt but never one really bad. And then all of a sudden I realized it's just not getting better. And I, I managed to pull off 10th place, even though I ran more than 93 miles with a badly sprained ankle. And then I crossed the finish line, sat down and I couldn't stand again for about a week. Oh, and God. it was still swollen four months later. It's... And I asked a physical therapist, is it normal to be swollen for four months? And the physical therapist's response was, well, no, it's, but it's not normal to run 93 miles on a sprain. It was such uh, a so classic. I, can't say I recommend that. It was such a classic, like Scott Jurek story too. Like it was kind of beautiful and kind of sick at the same time. Uh, <laughs> that, oh, absolutely! And, and, and knowing that Scott Jurek won Western States with a maybe a worse injury than mine. I don't know. Mine was pretty bad. Um, just running through pain the whole day. Uh, that actually, if I didn't have that knowledge that he had done that, I very, very much think I would have dropped. Wow. That's interesting. I I don't think I've ever heard you say that. That's uh, fascinating. So 
Yeah. You got through the creek crossing. You didn't roll anything like this year. Tell me, tell me what was going on. It seemed like it was hot kind of early on. It seemed like people were a little, whether it was the pace that was heating up their core temperature or like just the physical temperature there, like walk me through kind of the first half of the race. Yeah. So on the temperature thing, I'll, I'll, let me emphasize that I'm really, really pleased with my finish time, but like everyone else in the field, our finish times were partially extra fast because of the weather was so good this year. So I don't think there's any way I could crack 16 hours on that course, or at least I tend to this year, if it hadn't been really good weather compared to how it usually is at Western States. Um, but early on, it was funny. A lot of people were wearing like jackets and even even some of the the front pack elite people were wearing extra layers, and I was like, I'm not going that far. This is Western States. Like I do this race so that I don't have to wear anything warm, and I don't have to worry about being cold or anything. So I refuse to do that. Start line was cold. It was cold. It was morning. cold actually at the start line. I was shivering yeah. getting in my car and had to turn on the heat and stuff. So yeah, you- I was like, which race did I sign up for? <laughs> this is Western States. Yeah, your your heat training really came through for you here. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it had to be mentally kind of like a relief after having done this race so many times and, like, been out there just dying mid-race. Like, were, were you finding it just naturally, like, easier? Like, because you were thinking back to going up Devil's Thumb when it was just a ridiculous temperature? Yeah, so I think of Devil's Thumb as the hardest part of the course. And for those who've run Leadville, it's, it's like doing the, the hope pass inbound hope pass is harder than devil's thumb. Of course, it's a longer climb, but devil's thumb, it just gets so incredibly hot. I think all three of the other years I did it, it was an effective temperature of probably at least one Oh five Fahrenheit. <laughs> and this year it wasn't just that it was cool weather. It's that it was cool weather and it was cloudy. So there was no sun beating down on you and that, that made a massive difference. So I actually took the climb easier this year than I have any other year. And I had the fastest split of all four of my years, which is not very fast at all. Cause as I said, uphill is not my strength, but for me, it was, it was fast, even though it was the easiest it's been. I can't wait to try to run uphill against you. you you're just going to like knock the cover off. <laughs> like I, I've seen like your, your, your posture and your running form is like absolutely perfect. So I can't see you struggling uphill for some reason. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to race. Thanks, Rob. We'll, we'll have to race <laughs> up I, I bluffs. I've been working on it. We're going to race up That's bluffs and you'll probably, as long as, uh, my time is not two times your, whatever you finish it in. Like that's always my goal. Um, so getting to the river this year, I, I'm assuming you had to feel decent just because temperatures were reasonable. This is like the hottest part of the race. Tell me how you felt getting down to the river. Yeah, yeah. So I came into Forest Hill. Oh, man. I, I think maybe all four years I did this race, I came into Forest Hill somewhere from like 11th to 14th place. And I, of course I'm competing for top 10. So I always, always have this 
fairly stressful position to be in where I know I can run well, but it's going to, I'm going to have to not just run well, I'm going to have to pass people and not only not get fast, but also pass people. So I came into Forest Hill with Chris Mako and Courtney DeWalter and Ian Sharman, I think was in there at the same time as me as well. And such an average I pack, left. just, just super average runners there. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I mean, so like I'm, I'm, so I'm thinking I'm like, I have to pass people ahead of me and I, I have to beat Mako and Sharman who are here with me. And then of course, Browning and Reagan and a bunch of other people are behind them. It's just a ridiculous field. <laughs> um, so I leave with Sharman and I've been running with, with, with Sharman, Ian Sharman for most, most of the day, leapfrogging and all. And I don't think I've ever shared so many miles in one race with anyone else. And, and it was awesome. So cool. Yeah. Ian's, Ian's like one of my, one of my role models in this sport for sure. Um, so we left together and this is the first time I, usually I'm running with Ian and then he just gets faster and faster as the race goes on relative to me. Um, so it was a really interesting experience to realize like I was able to hold my own against him. This is mostly because he, he just didn't have his best day and I actually had my, literally my best day. Um, so I, I pulled ahead of him and started making up ground on Charlie Ware and Jeff, and Jeff Browning caught up to me. And then suddenly it's the three of us running together down Cal street and we are just flying. We're, cool. we're dropping like seven flat pace. Every time it's smooth and runnable, all of us are, are at least appearances wise looking really strong and, and, um, and energized and all. And then I pull ahead I kind of make a move because I want to be first to the river because I know there are rafts this year because there's been so much snow. Yep. So the water's high. So we have to cross some rafts instead of on the rope. So I'm thinking, well, I'll get at least a couple second advantage if I can get in a raft before them. So I'm not sure I want to say this publicly, but I'm going to say it because it's worthwhile. And this is just the reality of ultra running. Exclu- this is exclusive. So, so I'm, I'm ahead of Browning. He and I are leapfrogging, pushing it. And then I, I gap him. Then I have to do a bathroom stop. And then I use all my, my wipes. And then I have to do another bathroom stop. And I'm about six inches off the trail. And Jeff runs by me. I go, hey, Jeff. Hey, Kyle. <laughs> and so I just... Did you guys just, lock eyes, too? <laughs> I, I just start running. And I tell myself, well, I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to rinse myself off in the river and so- oh, soak in the water. Because that's what everyone does. And so I catch up to Jeff and I gap him again. And then I get into the aid station. I go down towards the water and Jeff comes in and I say, Oh, Oh no, no, I'm getting on the raft before Jeff. That's my plan. That's why I ran so hard down Cal street. So I get on the raft in front of him. I get to the other side and I basically skipped my bath, um, which was regrettable for sure. I'm Um, really glad I got the raft out of there before you guys came through. Um, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, they were trying to track down why there's rampant, um, a pink eye breakout. No, okay. That's too far. Um, how was the climb? How was the yeah. climb after so the, the climb, raft? Um, were you guys duking it so, out? Like did Jeff no, start so gaining get, so get on this. you? And you have a pacer okay. too here. Yeah. Yeah. So get this. I keep saying that I'm slow on the uphills, but that's, this is the one uphill that I shine on is after the river, the green gate climb. So I, all four years I've done this race, I pretty much ran every single step of it. And 
almost all the people who beat me are walking part of it. In fact, I might be the only person in the entire, literally the only person in the entire field who runs all of it. And it's kind of just a confidence thing in that it's like to tell myself that I'm strong, I'm still strong with only 20 miles to go. So I actually gapped Jeff getting up, up the climb to green gate and I'm running super well. And I move into ninth place past Eric Sensiman sitting on the ground. He was super dehydrated oh. um, right after green gate. And I'm in ninth place. I'm running really fast. And then Jeff Browning runs by me. Like I'm not even moving. Like I'm standing still. So Jeff was making a move <laughs> and it was a very impressive move. My, my pacer didn't even try and give me an optimistic spin on it. He just was like <laughs> Browning, Browning is a beast. And I was like, well, if he's going to run that fast, then he's going to, he's going to beat me by a lot. But I don't think there's anybody in the world who can run that fast all these last 15 miles. So we're duking it out and I got to give so much credit to Jeff Browning because I, I gave it 99.9%. I wanted it. I wanted to beat him. He gave it a hundred percent and he never let me pass him once. So he, he, every time he'd look back and see me, he would hammer it and, and gap me again. And then because I'm running super well, like I'm, I'm having the best race of my life. I slowly catch back up to him and then he sees me again and gaps me and he never let wow. me pass him. And I ended up finishing, you know, less than a minute behind him. So, um, so major let's, kudos let's to back up for, the, for that. Did, did your pace, okay, you guys are just absolute superhumans. I mean, were your pacers able to keep up with this, this uh, battle? I mean, like, I, I'm just trying to okay. walk, and, and these are probably some really great pacers too, but you guys are top athletes. Like walk me through what's going on there too. Yeah. So apologies, Charles Horn Baker, but I did drop you and Jeff Browning did drop Chrissy mail. And that's not your average, average pacer group either. You guys were going all out. (laughs) We were running so hard. And And then Pat Reagan, he passes me with like, four miles to go and I'm running so hard and he's just the peach. My pastor said he looked like a bunny. He just <laughs> super casual. It's like Pat, have you, did you even start running less more than like two miles ago? So Pat Reagan <laughs> passes me and then I'm like, well, I guess I'm getting 10th. Um, unless I catch Browning because Pat is definitely going to catch Browning and Pat did. Um, and Pat had dropped his pacer by this point as well. So the, the three of us, who all raced super hard at the end and finished seventh, eight, uh, sorry, eighth, ninth, and tenth. All all did drop our pacers. I yeah, I had heard a rumor about that. How it had been like just all out for the last probably five or ten. Um, that's awesome. And and so I was I was at the finish line. I heard your name announced. I think tenth place, right? And Correct. Yeah, I, I just I had a good smile to my face at that moment because I was like, he did it again, like <laughs> every time. So that that has to be huge relief for you, right? Like knowing every run you do now is going towards uh, the pig, the the Western States piggy bank, essentially. Yeah. So yeah. So four times top ten and the races were all different and the circumstances were all different. And all four times, I believe I was in either 10th or 11th place at the river. 
So I, I don't think I've ever been in a different place at the river. And that means all four times, just like this year, I had to race it pretty much all out from the river to the finish. And all four times I raced it literally all out from no hands bridge at mile 96 and a half to the finish. So it's like, I would just love to have a Western States when I have a big gap in front and behind me for the last like 20 miles. And that's especially the yeah. last few miles, but that has not happened so far. I mean, sub, um, sub 16, I, that, that wins Western States a lot of years. So you should feel pretty amazed at that one. I, I can't even imagine sub 24 on a flat ideal inside course. Uh, so it, it, the, the gain on some of those climbs is just ridiculous. Like, you know, it gets classified as a downhill, like a net downhill race, but there's some serious climbing at Western States and to go sub 16 is just like unhuman. It's crazy. Like, I mean, would you have changed anything about that race? Yeah. So there's, there's really nothing like it. And that's why I'm going to keep doing Western States. I mean, that's, that's four. And if, if the top 10 come back the next year, then next year very well might be the year when I finally lose it <laughs> because it just keeps getting more and more competitive and I'm barely eking it out. Um, but that's, that race just is unlike any other in that it's so competitive. And like I said, it's racing, literally racing all the way until the end. It feels like it's like a half marathon or something. And it's so over exciting. and over and over. <laughs> yeah. Four years in a row. And I just like, I know I'm going to get to no hands bridge. I'm going to have to race as hard as I possibly can. Um, uh, yeah. And, and then cracking 16 hours. So I, I think, I think there are 29 people who've run faster than me on that course. A bunch of them have done multiple times. And, but I did get the lucky year. This is one of the fastest years ever in terms of conditions for the course. But I really think this was historic and it's kind of ushering in a new era of competitiveness in that you can have 10 people run faster than what used to be a winning time. Yeah. And it would just be weird if someone like me won that race. Like I, I don't, I don't want to win that race and I'm never going to, it would just be weird. It would just be lame. And then like <laughs> everyone had a horrible day. So, so top 10 is always my goal. And as long as I go back, that'll, that'll be my goal. I take, but my ears might be, my ears are numbered. I think if it, if it continues I, I the take trajectory. That, take that Cougar trophy. Anytime you can get it. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> No, it belongs to someone like Jim or, or Rob or, or Jared. <laughs> um, okay, so you did this other, it's not really very competitive. I mean, it, it has the biggest prize purse in ultra running, basically. Um, I haven't actually compared that number. But Run Rabbit Run is kind of the notoriously difficult Colorado-based race that has it, it is it the largest prize purse i'm trying to remember my understanding is it's the largest prize purse in trail ultra running okay it, it always attracts top talent um why run run rabbit run i know you were there last year and i got to hear about this race no one's i i've heard almost zero mentions of this and this is a big deal. Like you took a top 10 at the most competitive Western States, probably in history. And then you followed it up with an enormous 
effort at Run Rabbit Run. Let's let's hear more about this this race that you just won. Yeah, so Run Rabbit is a great event, and I do it because it's a great event. I, lo- I also love that I live in Colorado, so it's local for me, and I can go up just for a long weekend. Don't have to fly. It's family friendly events, so my kids can come and. It's a fun course. It's it's really hard though. Um, but then beyond that, really, the main reason I do it is that it's competitive. So like I was saying, Western States is just like no other because you're racing the whole time. Or Run Rabbit is the closest thing to that that I can that I can do, at least in North America. And really, Run Rabbit did not disappoint. Um, even though I I won it, it was still pretty close. It was super close at the end. It seemed like, yeah, that Jim guy yeah, seemed so that Jim Rebenek, uh seems to know what he's doing there on that course. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so, so about Jim, he and I got in a long training run three weeks before the race. So, so a peak training run, and I was like, oh wow, Jim is really fit, and <laughs> he always oh is. man, this is this is going to be a good race because I knew I was really fit too. Um, but Jim's won that race before and he's, his, his training on paper was, was very impressive. So at the start line, I pretty much was thinking it was, it was me and Jim for, uh, who were going to compete for the win. And I, and I was right about that. And we finished six minutes apart and I, six I'm so minutes, we went, six we minutes two. after 106 miles with like, what is it? Right. Like 20,000. I forget the amount of gain, but it's sizable. Sick. Yeah, it's like 21, 23 or something like that. It's so crazy to be so close after that long of a distance. Like, yeah, um, just to put that in perspective. So, so a 19 hour race is just now, if you reduce everything by a power of, of whatever, 60, um, then it's, it's equivalent of a 5k where you're finishing 19 minutes in a 5k. And then instead of six minutes, that's six seconds. So it's like, it's, yeah. like, it's like being six seconds apart from somebody in a 5k. That's exactly. That's, that's a really, and you're, you're a legal guy. You're not a math guy. That's perfect way of actually analyzing it. Six seconds yeah, really in a 5k. Yeah. Um, were you guys running together for a lot of the race or like how, were you guys going back and forth? Were you in the lead and then lost it? Like how, how did the first half of the race go into Olympic? I think it's Olympic or Olympus. Olympian hall. Olympian. Yeah. Yeah. So I was running with Mark Hammond a lot early wow. and Mark is just, just a way tougher runner than I could ever be. And that he did this two weeks after UCMB <laughs> and he was sick. He was sick at UCMB and then he was sick at Run Rabbit. And he ended up dropping because he was sick. But last year, Mark ran Run Rabbit two weeks after UCMB and beat me. Uh, so again, he is, he is just uh, a, one, of the, he's one of the toughest runners in this sport. I don't think there's many other people in you, the world who could do that. You took fourth, uh, too. So it's not like that was an average performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last year, fourth. Mark was, was second. So this year I was running with Mark a lot early and I, I knew that I was stronger this year 
so I, I was expecting I would get a quite a bit faster time and I was towards the front most of the first half and I actually got, I got off course somewhere around like mile 48, me and another guy, we would have come into Olympian in second and third, but I think we lost like 15 minutes or something. So it was a decent amount of time and then got into Olympian and this is like the halfway point. Last how did you, year, how did you get lost Olympian. there? Is this just I a drop down? Know. Okay. Huh. I, I'm, if there's a way to get lost, I'll probably figure it out. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty dumb at following course markers. So don't ever follow me. Um, <laughs> and don't trust me to be your pacer ever. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> oh God. Yeah, we can talk about that one later. <laughs> um, so, so I got into Olympian hall and, and this year was just very different from last year. Last year I was running super hard to get into Olympian hall and then it all went downhill and I was puking and not able to get anything down, not water or calories for basically the last 45 miles of the race last year. I would say I probably drank like one bottle of water and got in like, like 200 calories or something. So I finished last year in horrible condition from dehydration and the severe nausea. So this year I was determined to do better about not getting nauseous or dehydrated and it didn't exactly go as planned because I started puking at mile 36 this year, which is actually the earliest that's ever happened to me. But I still managed to keep stuff down. I got into Olympian Hall, and instead of everything falling apart there, it was very, very different and very confidence-boosting because I started running better. I, I took some caffeine, and it was like instant energy burst, and then ran really well the rest of the race. That's a long there. climb. So it's a long climb out it's like what at least 10 15 miles up right yeah after you leave olympian it just goes on and on forever and it was at the top of there that i caught jim and by that point we gapped everybody because all the other people who'd been running towards the front started to slow down but but jim and i were both moving really well and i caught him at the top and we we ran together for a little bit and then i i made a move on a climb that he, he opted to walk it and I decided I was going to run the whole climb to, to try and gap him. And then the crazy thing is that after that, I never saw him again. And that was something like mile 78 or so. So you, ran, you, you dropped down into fish Creek. Like you must've been crushing. Were you guys running together downhill? So the course, the course has changed since, since having fish Creek oh, towards okay. the end and that now Fish Creek is like mile, you get there like mile 16 or something. Oh, okay. So it's, it's different. And the course is longer and harder than it used to be. Um, well, it was so, so, it was so easy when I lower. did it and DNF'd at mile 80. Um, okay, sorry. I, I didn't mean to sidetrack you there. So you, you did this climb and you never saw Jim again. Yeah, and that's the crazy thing. So I've, I've never been leading in a major race late in the race before and this is kind of a new perspective so i know that pretty much all of my hundreds well at least all four of my western states and then some others like i said earlier i had to race really really hard at right till the very end and i always somehow find the strength to do that even when i was feeling really horrible earlier in the race but it's always the competitive drive that makes it possible to tap into those reserves so this year i had to kind of will it out of myself without having somebody somebody to chase or be pushing me because I figured Jim would be close behind me. 
but I didn't even know until the finish line that he had been, he was two minutes behind me at the, the long Lake aid station, which I think is something like, yeah. uh, something like mile 82. ish. I was just going to say that's where I dropped. Yep. Yep. Before oh, no. the big descent down. If the course is yeah. somewhat close at the end. Yeah. It's probably the same at the end. So it was that really, yeah, so really I'm, steep descent. Right. That, like so that, okay, so for those who don't know, Rob, we need to, we need to explain what this is about. So <laughs> after you get to the last aid station, you essentially run downhill for six miles and this is dirt road. So it is the, like the fastest terrain you could possibly conceive of. <laughs> and I think that makes run rabbit have the most destructive stretch of course of any hundred miler probably in the world, because if you're feeling good, you can run if, if you're, if you're like fresh and all like, like, like I could easily go run that whole thing at like five thirty pace on a training run and it wouldn't be that hard. But when you have a hundred miles on your legs, yeah, it's, it yeah. will absolutely destroy you. And it, the course is still 106 miles or whatever. Is yeah. That, something like that. Yeah. So he's not even lying. Like he, he probably had 101 miles on his legs. Like if, if you see that uh, famous YouTube video, I forget. It's about a hundred miles. The guy's like running backwards uh, during this section because it's because yes. going up it is torturous. But honestly, after a hundred and one miles, going down it is just as torturous. Um, right. It's like we're we're going to give you the fastest terrain imaginable. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to give it to you after you have a hundred miles on your legs. Yeah. So I got to give kudos to Jeff Mogavero who got third place. He set the Strava CR in that downhill because he, I looked, I looked, what? I swear it's on Strava. He what? ran a 520 mile at mile like 103 <laughs> and, and he moved from fourth place into third place. So it got him a big jump in prize money. It got him on the podium. Oh my you know, God. He, he really hammered it and he worked for it and, and it paid off. So major shout out to, to Jeff. So- uh, I think you're you're fortunate in the in the regards that you didn't know Jim was two minutes behind you because Jim Rabinex, notoriously good runner, especially at Run Rabbit Run. Um, like I think you would have been running scared to the point where it might have kind of messed you up a little bit, right? I mean, it, exactly. It was an ignorance is bliss situation to yeah. where I was able to feel happy and confident despite that I was deep in the pain cave, of course because I, I thought that I had to win in the bag for essentially the last marathon of the race. Oh, God. And I, I, I knew I couldn't let up, but I didn't have to have the stress of knowing someone was right behind me. You're being hunted so by, it, like, multiple people. Oh, man. Yeah, it was an endurance is bliss situation. So let's talk about your finish lines. Um, you're sort of famous for... I don't know. Do you want to describe it? How do, how do you describe coming through the finish line for most of your your big races, your 100-milers? Well, how would you describe <laughs> it, Rob? Uh, I don't want to say dumpster fire. <laughs> uh, but you definitely need a puke bucket, right? Yeah, my, my wife might say dumpster fire. <laughs> and I think I would, too. Yeah, I don't know how people walk around at the finish line of hundreds. But like like Jeff Browning always looks like he hasn't even run. <laughs> and Jim Rebenick, he was he was it looked okay when when he finished behind me this year. And I just I just lose 
lose it. Literally, I just, I puke and I can't walk. And I puke and I puke and I puke. And usually I can't eat or drink anything for at least four hours after I cross a hundred mile finish line. And usually I'm already dehydrated from puking during the race. So it's just imagine being the thirstiest you've ever been in your entire life, but you know that you're not going to be able to get a sip down for like four hours. It's pretty miserable. Kyle, I'm next year at Western States, I'm going to be at No Hands Bridge and I'm just going to hold a big sign or something. I'll probably throw Gatorade at you. <laughs> like, Kyle, get some hydration in you right now. You got four miles to go. Like, so you uh, get no, and I always tell myself you got to you got to drink before you get to the finish line, so some of it can absorb into the bloodstream before you start puking. But the thing is, I'm worried if I even have one sip, it's going to make me puke, and I'll slow down at the end. So yeah, I, I let yeah. myself get depleted and dehydrated, so I can just focus on running and not my stomach. Okay, and it gets me into this bad situation. So yeah, the fear of like losing a position or two. Um, that's interesting. I, I didn't know how that emanated, um, but it makes sense. I mean, you can't eat when your hydration, your electrolyte balance is totally out of whack. So, um, do, do you, do you shake at the end too? Cause of how dehydrated you are? Well, I did the shakes once. That was the year I had the ankle sprain oh. and I was going like 12 minute miles when I got to, no, I was literally like 13 minute miles when I got to no hands bridge. And because I slowed down, cause I thought I had 10th place in the bag. And then Tofol Castanier go, comes into no hands bridge aid station while I'm on the bridge, like a hundred yards ahead. So I was like, Oh no, not again. Another all out race from no hands bridge. Oh, that's um, torturous. So, and that's, what the, that's what the sprained ankle too. It hurts so oh. bad. So I crossed the finish line and then my whole body started convulsing and I got really freaked out, but the people in the medical tent told me it's just normal. Your nervous system being really shocked and then it stopped after like five minutes, but I, my whole body was shaking like crazy. It was scary. I mean, how did the finish line at run rabbit run feel like, was it, were you just so tapped out? Like you were just happy to be done. I mean, that had to be a rewarding feeling. You had to have thought about that fourth place finish last year and how you've like really come a long ways. Yeah. Yeah. So I ran a lot better this year and I was able to run slower on that final downhill, those final five ish miles because I was in the lead anyway. And whereas last year I, I did catch somebody and moved up a place on that downhill. So I had to run it really hard. So this year I took it easy and it still just absolutely destroyed my legs and my quads were like, could barely hold me up. I was like, ready to just buckle my knees, buckle and fall to the ground with every step to the last half mile of the race. So I crossed the finish line, of course felt horrible physically, but yeah, it was, it was really, really satisfying to, to get a big win. Yeah. Congrats. Like it's huge. A top 10 at States followed by a run rabbit run win is puts you in a, a whole different level of, of ultra running. So yeah, just big congrats. And, um, so, yeah, I just, I just want to add that, that just like Western States, um, really, I, I don't think that I should win that, win a race with a big prize for us like that. I, I really want to see more, more of the guys who are faster than me showing up and maybe we'll see that in, in future years. Uh, but there's certainly been a, 
a preference for UTMB over Run Rabbit Run that time of year. It's surprising. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's hey, whoever listens to this, just just look how much money I just won um, with with a race that wasn't was not as good as what my top ten finish at Western States was. That was that was a better performance of the two for sure. I, I think. Um don't be shocked if you know you have three guys show up next year. I mean, if you're doing this professionally, I, it has to be on your schedule. Um, I, I wouldn't yeah, be. I, I, I would I be hope shocked. We see some better competition. Yeah, I mean, why would you pick Leadville over Run Rabbit Run? Right? I mean, Leadville has some notoriety, but at the same time, I, I does Leadville even offer a prize purse? I don't even know. I don't think it does so i've i've gotten second at leadville twice and fourth once there and i love leadville i love 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 it but i can't see doing it instead of run rabbit run while i'm competitive for one of the top spots and run rabbit run has put put me up with a free condo for three nights and they give me a free race entry um they really treat the elite runners very well and i would love to see there be more better competition there in future years that's cool. That's yeah. That's good to hear. And um, yeah, no, it's great to hear. So uh, let's finish this uh, conversation with kind of like, unfortunately, what happened following Run Rabbit Run? Like, it sounds like you were in a, a bit of a, a car wreck. Is that correct? Yeah. So moving on from the happy stuff to the the not happy stuff. Yeah, I was in a car accident one week after the race, and I don't really want to go into the details, um, but we were, my wife and I and our kids, we were hit from behind by a a very large truck, and now my running's a bit uncertain, and it's it's quite a contrast to go from winning a major race and getting the biggest cash prize in the entire sport, in the entire world, Um to being uncertain about my running. And it's, it's an interesting thing to have to think about and have to um, work through. And I, I'm hoping I can learn from the experience, however things turn out. I mean, I, when you first told me my jaw dropped and I was just super thankful that none of your family got hurt and that you guys were all okay. Cause uh, anytime a semi truck hits you, when you're, were you basically totally stopped and this, this truck just ran right into you guys? Like it just seemed like a horrific situation. And I was just really thankful that you guys managed to get out with your lives, you know, as a base level. Um, and yeah, yeah. no, thanks for adding, thanks for adding the, <laughs> that perspective because I, I'm just in running conversation mode and, and this is a running podcast. So I'm just focusing on oh, the, yeah. the running aspects, but um, yeah, that's, they're just way more important things. And, and frankly, we're, we're super lucky that uh, things didn't turn out worse than they did it for sure. Kyle's a super nice dude. Like the, it even, it, it started, our conversation even started with like, Hey Kyle, what miles do you want to pace me for at, Moab because he's going to take his whole weekend and come out and help my my charity kind of fundraiser 401k for cancer research um and he's like yeah I, I might just have to crew so you're super nice dude and talk about just bad luck 
Um, are you able to run it all yet? Or are you still kind of in like wait and see mode on your current condition? Yeah, don't don't really want to go into details. Okay, but I'm I'm hopeful that I can compete again um, fairly soon. Um, cool. But 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 regardless, yeah, to have to have moments of uncertainty when just not sure about that. The the point that I really want to stress is is not not really telling my story about what just happened, but it's more to emphasize that you gotta just take advantage of what you have when you can. And I've been, been telling myself that in this sport for basically seven years since I found I was able to, to run 100 miles for the first time. It's like, wow, I, I, I did that. And it was, it was amazing and life-changing. And I don't know how long my body will be able to do that because most people's bodies can't do that in their current states. And I keep telling myself year after year in this sport, um, you know, this might be the last year when you're able to to do this as well as you can. So it's, it's hard on a day-to-day basis to get in the training and to be so committed to it. But I always remind myself that you're, you're going to regret it if you don't do it when you're 40 or 50 or 60 and you have no chance of being able to run um, 16 hours at Western States, for example. And this just really brought that point to life and that have to have the thoughts go through my head that, well, I, I might, might not be able to do again what I just did one week ago at run rabbit. And I hope I will. I'm not, I'm not saying I won't, um, but I'm just emphasizing the, the, the psychology here. Well, I, I feel for you. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that your family's okay. I think you'll, your body's probably, more attuned to recovery than probably 99.99% of humans on the planet. So, uh, yeah, we're, you know, my thoughts are with you guys and with your recovery. And yeah, I'm just really thankful that you are going to be part of my Moab crew putting together. It's, it's you anime Flynn and Matt Daniels. Um, hopefully, you will be to the point where you can throw down for a segment. And (laughs) yeah, I am not concerned about uh, being able to drop you ever. But no, I'm I'm truly thankful that you're taking the time because I know how busy you are. Like your profession, it's just, it's a huge amount of time, but you're able to make this all work. And so Kyle, where can people follow you on social media? Yeah, well, well, first, I'm super excited to, to see you finish the Moab 240 or maybe a little bit longer. Uh, <laughs> foreshadowing there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I'm, I'm so excited that you're, you're doing it for this, this fundraising campaign that's, that, that, you're, that you're putting a lot of effort in and keep drawing a lot of attention to. Really admire that, Rob. Thank and you. I don't need too long minute here. But yeah, it's going to be awesome. And Moab 240 is a bucket list race for me. And to get to go see it um, before I think about doing it myself is really exciting. Um, so then if people want to follow me, um, just, just Google. You'll, you'll find whatever you're um, looking for. So what's the longest run you've ever done? That would probably be Run Rabbit this year. The whatever it is, 105-ish miles plus getting lost. 
Yeah. So I don't know exactly. Um, Something like one of six. In, I mean, I was going to end it, but I got to hear, like, what are your thoughts on not only doubling that distance, but then throwing in, like, 40 more miles or 50K? Yeah, thinking about it is like what thinking about 100 milers used to be for me. Now, 100 miler is just, I probably view it the way a lot of people view a marathon. It's just like, oh, just a good, hard, long run in one day. That's so, all, That's awesome. I, but the, I, the 240 thing, I, I, I can't even conceptualize it. Just like I couldn't conceptualize hundreds before I had done them. So if, if this gives so, the listeners, even if you're an elite who's like, oh, 200s are for old people. Uh, Kyle Curtin had one hell of a UTMB and we were chatting kind of behind the scenes and I was like, what happened? Like you had just an excellent UTMB and he's like, well, after, after 200 milers, hundred milers seem easy. So <laughs> you, you can actually have like a, maybe not a physical breakthrough from doing a 200 miler, but a mental breakthrough. Um, and take your 100-mile performance to the next level, which I don't think, because 200-milers are so new to the sport, I don't think many elites have even thought about that. But uh, shout-out to Kyle Curtin and his UTMB this year um, following his Tahoe 200 from the previous year that he won. So, Kyle, I'll see you out in Moab. Heal up, and let's stay in touch. I'll get you down here into Southern Denver for a group run at some point. Thanks for taking all your time. That all sounds awesome, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. It's so much fun to chat about this stuff. And thank you again for all you do and, and the sport and for making this podcast a great thing to listen to you on a regular basis. Thank you. Appreciate it. And that's episode 109. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big thank you to Kyle for taking so much of his time, not only for this episode, but then to come out for Moab 240 is awesome. Thank you to uh, my newest Patreon supporters, uh, Cindy, Meg, Tracy, Brad, Trevor, Brian, and another Brian. Uh, just really appreciate you guys. You make this all work. Thank you to Hammer Nutrition, Sufferfest Beer, Exoskin, Ultimate Direction, and Destination Trail. Have a great week of training. Enjoy it out there.